our special Ether Revolt preview show on episode 61 of So Many Insane Plays. Welcome to episode 61 of So Many Insane Plays, our special and first ever Ether Revolt preview card show. I'm Kevin Crone with Stephen Menendian. It's great to be here. If you have any comments or questions, you can tweet us at many insane plays, email us at so many insane plays podcast at gmail.com, or leave feedback on Eternal Central, MTGcast, or themanadrain.com. This episode is just one big announcement show, Kevin. <laughs> of a sort, yeah. We won't have any other spe- specific announcements. For recent announcements, please refer to episode 60, which is relatively recent for our show. Yeah, episode 60 is our epic end-of-the-year review, so go check that out. But let's We're going to dive into this. This is, I mean, I've been writing magic articles since 2002, and I've never done a preview show, a preview card. Yeah. Um, and, and we've, as you know, we just said have done 60 shows we've never done a preview card show so this is a really special occasion we're very excited not just because we get to preview a card but because the card we get to preview is awesome <laughs> it really is you know <laughs> I, I spoke to uh blake rasmussen at, at wizards of the coast and and i this is a month ago and, and you know laid the front the the foundation for this and said hey we'd love to, to do a preview card and he was concerned that he wouldn't be able to find a vintage card for us <laughs> which is an interesting concern right it's 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 a reasonable concern it's, reasonable. it's hard to predict yeah. what's playable in vintage they don't design cards for vintage right for the most part yeah. uh, very few exceptions right yeah uh, but at the same time you and i know that there have been a lot of vintage playable cards especially in recent sets. a lot yeah and so it's kind of a funny conundrum in the sense that i could think it's totally reasonable for them not to be able to or not to be expect to be able to just pick out a vintage card from every set but the fact well, is, is they they're making good cards lately. If you, you know, if you are listening to this podcast and you don't have, uh, and you've gotten to us other than a regular one of our regular websites, like maybe you download this on iTunes, that's good because we want to unveil this card for you. Yeah. Um. We, we so when we post this on on the web, we're going to have this at the very very bottom and ask you to, if you can, listen to listen to our unveiling first because we really want to set this card up. <laughs> This is a really exciting card. I mean, t- I totally understand the concern about trying to identify and provide a vintage playable, but, I, you know, this is not a card that is maybe vintage playable, This that may see some play at some point, that we really have to kind of hype up and stretch for the occasion. No, this is a card that, if anything, we cannot express how good this is enough. <laughs> so, I mean, this card is off the charts I'm so excited about it, and the and the more I thought about this card, and we've had some time to reflect on it, the more excited I become. <laughs> so, without further ado, Kevin, or mm-hmm. any more? Nope. Drum roll. Let's break this card down. We'll start with casting cost. We'll start with with card name, which is revealed in our our title. But we'll start with the the card name, and we'll we'll break it down, including the flavor text. Kevin, would you like to do the honors? I would be happy to. Vintage. Let me introduce you to Hope of Girapur. Mana cost, one. 
legendary artifact creature. That's, that's a that's a good that's a good mana cost, by the way. <laughs> more more on that soon. Legendary artifact creature, Thopter. Text box. Flying. Sacrifice hope of Girapur. Colon. Until your next turn, target player who was dealt combat damage by hope of Girapur this turn can't cast non-creature spells. One one. And the flavor text is. The Renegades mounted an Aether Disruptor aboard a lightweight Thopter to destroy Tezzeret's planar bridge. Steve, this card is sweet in so many ways. <laughs> I want. I want to. I, I know we've got a lot to say. I want to talk about one. So many insane plays. Uh, right. I want to talk about one quick thing though that we're not going to touch on mostly for the rest of the show, and that is the flavor here. Uh, Steve, Steve. I mean, the story, the 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 Aether Revolt story is being doled out gradually as we speak right now, but. The, the what this card refers to is awesome because Tezzeret creates a bridge between planes that means uh, people or things can travel between planes without being planeswalkers. That's part of his master plan. And this Devious. this Thopter was created by the Renegades to try and disrupt that plan because it it because it put Kaladesh at risk. But we're not well, this, we're not a flavor show necessarily. <laughs> Well, th- no, this guy will be uh, metaphorically disrupting many vintage plans. So, <laughs> That's right. That's so uh, right. It's, it's a perfect analogy. I-, I count no less than six elements to this card that are relevant to this discussion. Yeah, absolutely. The first, the, the first is the one mana cost, mm-hmm. and that has particular significance in vintage for a number of reasons. Uh, uh, just three that I'll quickly mention, mm-hmm. if we can start with there. One, it's the... It's the uh, trinket mage mana, uh, retrieval mana cost parameter. So uh, it's a perfect uh, card to retrieve with trinket mage, at mm-hmm. least in terms of uh, it, the mana cost. Number two, uh, it's a card that you uh, gets hit by mental misstep. So it obviously has incredibly incredible importance in vintage. It's obviously the most efficient you can get in vintage besides being zero mana. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also third. It works with it being a creature and at one mana, it works with cards like Artificer's Intuition, mm-hmm. uh, which we'll talk a, a little bit about today. That's the first element, the one mana. The second is this is an artifact, which as we all know is hugely significant. Mm-hmm. Um, the third is that it's legendary, which we'll talk about. The fourth is that it has evasion, so it's flying. The fifth is that it's a sacrifice activation, but it's a combat-related uh, uh, activated ability. Um, the Sixth element is that it has an effect on the next turn, which may be its u- most unique uh, effect. Mm-hmm. I, I, it may be. And then finally, it's a 1-1 one, one creature. So there's no no less than seven distinct relevant elements that we need to discuss. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> it, it really is. This card is really deep for uh, how much they baked into some relatively simple numbers and, and mechanics. The, the sacrifice ability is not simple, but all the other things right. that you pointed to are are very straightforward elements that combine to form a very complex card. You know, so we, let me, we just let continue me, let me to, create... to get these easy, simple, you know, very milk toast to evaluate cards in vintage. It's it's really sad. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, it this this makes this our job ex- excited, but it's the complexity of the card is incredible. Mm-hmm. So let's just create some structure of this conversation. We're going to talk about potential applications. We're going to talk about a drawbacks. We're going to talk about where this might fit in terms of a home in the current metagame. Mm-hmm. But before we do all of that, let's just talk about 
what this does. What is this card about? Mm-hmm. You start. This card is about disrupting your opponent's ability to interact with you. That's that's, that's <laughs> that might be the single best thing you could do in this. It could be. Among... <laughs> it could be. But but it's it's a little bit broader than that though, right? Because right. the text of the ability includes until your next turn, which means the ability is active, assuming you it, you get it to hit and you sacrifice. The ability goes on the stack and resolve. The ability is in effect during your turn and there. So in addition to preventing their interaction with you, except for creatures, right. on your turn, right. it prevents a significant portion of the the mainstay, you know, uh, activities in Vintage for most decks. Right. Playing spells. Playing spells. <laughs> so even in decks that are even in decks that are have a significant creature component, like say you know, a workshop aggro deck by today's standards, this still cuts off half of that deck from being played on their turn. All the spheres exactly. and the smokestacks and the bridges and those ancillary effects, it still disrupts decks like that, which you might not see as a primary application, but it's 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 critically important. Well, well even with something like, I mean, even non even creature spells like young pyromancer or monastery mentor depend in a tremendous part on your capacity to play spells to fuel them. you know that's interesting so, so even certain e- creatures are hurt by this in that sense exactly yeah its scope is broader than creatures the most obvious point of comparison is, to me is xantid swarm sure that is in the sense that it is a one mana creature that has flying that when it deals combat damage it it says turns off your opponent. We, we used to joke, covered in bees. Right? Mm-hmm. Your opponent can no longer do anything. The, superficially, it looks a lot like that. Obviously, the scope of application is enormously broader here because it's a colorless creature. Uh-huh. But but here's the thing. The difference between Xanaswarm and this is enormous. This is much... I mean, Xanaswarm turns off your opponent not just just when it attacks and deals damage. But, but this... this turns off your opponent for their entire next turn. Mm-hmm. So this, I think, we're going to get into this, but I think this is a lot more like Mind Slaver than Santa's potentially. <laughs> potentially. Potentially, yeah. Well, I mean, and I think you're, just to preview a little bit of future discussion, but I feel the deck that abuses this card best is the one that will abuse both halves of that coin, right? Yeah. It will, it will. Yeah. leverage the fact that they can't interact on your turn, but also the fact that they can't provide answers on their turn. Well, well, that that just falls as a matter of matter of logic. If we define uh, abuse as maximizing all the effects <laughs> of the card, right. then that's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean it's it's going to be the most effective home for the card. Not but that's certainly yeah yeah certainly true what you just said. Um, so so this is kind of like a Xanaswarm, but let's let's look at let's draw the comparison a little bit more tightly for a second. So we've talked about the main difference, uh, it being that um, at least the most striking difference. Let's put it that way: that this turns off your opponent through their next turn, which mm-hmm. is really really incredible. Yeah. I mean, the the cards that, that you know we have spells like Orem's Chant that do that, but but this in a, in essence turns your opponent off for like a turn and a half. Yeah. Which we've never really had a, a card that does that before. Right. In fact, that might be the that might be the log the the lead line for this card. Mm-hmm. Turns off your opponent for 1.5 turns. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the tagline. Um, excuse me, that's what I meant. Yep. Um. So, but here's another difference, and this is a huge difference. Granted, most of the time you use Xanaswarm, you really want to win that turn that you act the first activation. So mm-hmm. it's turn one Xanaswarm, turn two win, or turn three win. But sometimes you have to attack a couple turns with Xanaswarm. This card has a built-in effect where you have to sacrifice it. Um, and 
Let's be clear, the sacrifice here has no mana cost, so whatever. But it means it's a one-shot use on the face of it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, now, here's a little ambiguity, though. It may, might be too early to introduce this, but we'll say we'll introduce it anyway. <laughs> the sacrifice is Sacrifice Hope of Girapur, and it says, until your next turn, target player who was dealt damage by Hope of Girapur this turn can't cast non-creature spells. So the question is, yes, it's legendary. If you attack with this and sacrifice it, right? You mm-hmm. sacrifice it. Or let's say you attack with it, you know, whatever, and you sacrifice it. Um, could you play another Hope of Girapur? And let's say, let's just say for the sake of argument, this is multiplayer, right? So you play a second one. Could you turn off a second player with a second Hope of Girapur that did not deal damage? No, it would have to, the, the restriction on the ability would apply only to the copy of Hope of Girapur that had dealt damage to someone. Okay. That's what I wanted if, to know. I also wanted to know because of copy effects. There are lots of copy effects like Phyrexian Metamorph. Yes. If so. you could create a non-legendary copy of this, which is possible but not in not likely in vintage, that yeah. that would work. Also, if you could manufacture multiple attack steps in a turn, which there are several ways to do that, mostly not vintage playable, but that is also possible. Okay, so it has to be the specific one. Yep. That's a syntactical ambiguity. It's not clear to me. It wasn't clear to me by reading it. Okay. Um, interesting. Okay. So the sacrifice is different here, but the sacrifice is actually interesting because of recursive properties, right? Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that more. <laughs> there, Any there other are, stri- yeah, there are ways to treat this card a little more like a mind slaver, as you, as you put it, than Xantid's form. Let's go, let's go there. Let's go there. Let's go there now. So recursion with Goblin Welder just seems bananas here. Yep. I mean, you can literally turn off your opponent turn after turn, turn after turn. How does someone win if they have to play spells on your turn and they can't even play it at certain relevant points, right? Right. I mean, they can't. you can't play Planeswalkers. You can't play cards like Stony Silence or Null Rod to turn this off. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems really, really good. <laughs> so what you're... It's a one-mana Mind Slaver. <laughs> so, so what you're talking about is a deck that has... Uh, a full or nearly full set of these and some complement of Goblin Welders such that you play a Hope of Girapur on turn one and your opponent could conceivably... Well, it's going to be hard to... You'd have to string at least a second copy on your second turn in order for it to work, or you'd have to play the Hope and a Goblin Welder on turn one. But since the Hope is colorless... That's not, that's that's not, not implausible. That, that's, yeah, that's not implausible. No, exactly. Right. You could play Mox Opal and this and one other and, thing and you are... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so there. it'd be very very relevant to play like Mox Emerald Hope. If it resolves, then you go Cavern of Souls on Goblin, Goblin Welder. <laughs> <laughs> Mox Opal, yeah. yeah. That's funny. So it, what what you're setting up is a situation where the simple the simple fact is is that you can get a, a quasi lock on your opponent as soon as earlier on turn two. Right. You know, one of the interesting things is that led, cards that have legendary built into them, you would think just as a design approach in terms of deck design and deck construction, that you wouldn't want to have maximum quantities of. Mm-hmm. We know that not to be the case. Yeah. And that may well be a function of the current way in which the legend rule works. That, you know, four Mox Opals is actually the optimal amount mm-hmm. in, in uh, you know, optimal in the sense of, Reliable. As opposed to yeah. one, two, three, or four, <laughs> you want to run four in in a lot of the um, decks that we played recently, but and certainly the paradoxical outcome decks. But here, the sacrifice means that the marginal utility of these is positive. 
Yeah. You you open a hand with multiples of these. I'm not disappointed. Right. That buys you turn time. Yeah. That buys you turn. It's a functional. T- and I know this is the most overused cliche in magic, but it's a time walk, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> right. It's so. Yeah, it's exceedingly close to a time walk in function. <laughs> <laughs> Your opponent, yes, they get to draw a card. Yes, they get to untap. Yes, they get to play a land. But. But for That's the purpose, about it. but for the purposes of forwarding their game plan and yours, it is very close to a time walk. And you can play spells on their turn, and they can't do anything too. Mm-hmm. So, um, insane, really insane. <laughs> so, so there is the there's the big. Okay, look, this has the Xanid Swarm ability, which means that you clear the way for a big spell. I want to ask you what spells we might be protecting. Mm. But then there's also this other recursive ability or iterative ability where you get kind of a mind a mind slaver effect. That is, you deeply disrupt your opponent to advance your game plan. I think either one of these routes is perfectly valid. Mm. I think these are going to be the two main routes we pursue. Yep. But let's focus on the first for just a minute. Kevin, yep. what are we going to be protecting? What, are, what spells or threats or strategic plans are we pursuing with this card? In vintage. Okay, so face value combo decks. And the popular combo decks at the moment, which is by and away, or by, uh, far and away not the limiting factor here, but those include Dark Petition in Dark Petition Storm, uh, Paradoxical Outcome in the Paradoxical Outcome Storm deck, maybe Doomsday Belcher. in a Doomsday deck, Belcher in a Belcher deck, or any number of restricted cards, right? In almost any deck, right? So like, right. like a Steel City Vault... Uh, protect, yes. protecting oh, Steel City Vault loves this. <laughs> right, protecting a, a, a tinker or a time twister or a wheel or something similar. So time vault, in, yeah. in any kind of deck that is set up to abuse this closer to Xanted Swarm, the list is very long. The list is yes. probably one or two kinds of four ofs, like Dark Petition or Paradoxical Outcome or Belcher, and then a, another litany of restricted cards. Restricted cards, yeah. yeah. I think you're exactly right. I, I think that when it comes to cards like this, used in in the way that Xanid Swarm is used, you need to deploy a spell or pursue a strategic objective that generates tremendous card advantage or tremendous mana advantage. Mm-hmm. It's not going you're not going to use it just for a relatively advantage <laughs> advantageous card, like a gush or something like that. You're going to use it for a tr- to 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 clear the path for a game winning strategic objective like tinker for blightsteel colossus or tinker for time vault or mm-hmm. you know any of those other spells that you name i think you hit the nail on the head and there are plenty of applications for this mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean the fact that you don't need green this is a straight upgrade yeah. this is a straight upgrade for Zan- over xanad swarm i think in a lot of those decks well it's interesting to point that out because and again i don't want to deviate too far too fast but xanad swarm has fallen out of favor considerably in vintage it is basically a non-presence in Vintage this year. True. It has Tell been, us what the stats are. Yeah, it has been almost entirely replaced in function and practice by Defense Grid. By Defense Grid. Yeah. yeah. If you look but at Defense t- Grid, immunity to misstep and Lightning Bolt is certainly part of that story. Yeah. If you look at tcdex.net this year, Xanted Swarm made only one appearance in all of 2016. In a sideboard at a GP Melbourne Vintage Tournament. That's it. Wow. <laughs> this whole of this year, it has one appearance on, on tcdex.net. So, whereas uh, Defense Grid, by comparison, has dozens upon dozens of appearances, it's become a staple yes, in the yes. last, especially in the last six months, yes. of, of Storm decks, like Dark Petition Storm, and now the Paradoxical Storm decks. I would have thought Defense Grid was more popular in the first half of the year. 
but but that's okay. Well, I, I mean, it was yeah. This, <clears throat> you're right. This is not a brand new development. It's just that it has graduated to the point of staple, is what I would say. So Xanded Swarm, the fact that we now have, I as you said, an upgrade to Xanded Swarm, there's I think going to be a lot of difficult decisions on the part of deck builders now as to whether or not the hope yes. of Gearper is is better or worse than Defense Grid is in their deck today. <laughs> That's a perfect phrasing of that. Is the hope of Gearper better than Sanded Swarm? Meaning, does it provide more hope in, the, in these scenarios? <laughs> I, I think it's a great question. Yeah. I mean, look, I was using Defense Grid in 2015 in my Burning Tendrils deck mm-hmm. um, at Vintage Championships prelims because I observed very quickly that it's not only because I played Oath of Druids, but because which renders Xanid Swarm unplayable, but because Defense Grid does everything you want to do right now. It's better than Duress, which at one mana gets Misstep or Fluster Storm. Mm-hmm. It evades both those cards, and it also, um, the Gush decks have compressed mana bases, particularly, they don't run full complements of Moxon, like Mana Crypt and Mana Vault and Lotus Petal, like the big blue decks did you know years back. So Defense Grid is just the optimal effect. Um, I played Defense Grid, Dark Petition Storm at the... Um, at the NYSE earlier in the year, um, so in, early in 2016. So I think that you're absolutely right to point out that this has a lot of headwinds against it, and the two main headwinds are the sheer quantity of creature removal in the format right now, mm-hmm. like Lightning Bolt and Swords of Plowshares, and number two, Mental Misstep. Yeah. Uh, but I have no doubt that this is so powerful that it, it's a huge incentive to run it even against those headwinds. I think you're right. Now, let's talk about that creature removal, because obviously this this has interesting impacts in terms of pre- and post-sideboard games, right? Right. Their defense grid is... <laughs> I don't have the stats in front of me, so I'm, I'm speaking a little bit off the cuff here. Defense grid is still mostly a sideboard card, but not entirely. Yeah, I played it main deck. Yeah, there are certain decks and certain builds that are playing defense grid in the main, and that, that's perfectly understandable and acceptable. <clears throat> but but it's still I think the I think the majority is still on the sideboard. This hope of Gearper being a creature puts interesting tension on post sideboard matchups for decks that are currently sideboarding right. defense grid because right. those decks right. are by and large creatureless and it's going to become an interesting dance both from a deck construction and then a, a tournament play standpoint as to how much creature removal a deck like say Mentor can afford to leave well, in to address the hope. Because, right. because you're be- playing a combo deck with perhaps no creatures in a lot of cases. Precisely. And because Swords to Plowshares is so hopelessly narrow, even when Defense Grid comes in, Fragmentize frequently comes in from Mentor deck, right? Because Fragmentize yeah. Yeah. helps ad- shore up the Defense Grid, but Fragmentize still has other purposes. You can try to disrupt your opponent's mana if you see an opportunity, and it will be... Correct, or if you draw a double fragmentize, you can you can hit a mox to maybe turn off an opal on a subsequent turn, right? It has other relevance. Swords to Plowshares just has none of that. It's it's hopelessly narrow against uh, say a Dark Petition <laughs> Storm deck that has just four yeah, yeah. hopes after sideboard. Unless they unless they also have like Rat Pack or something. Pack rat. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Unless they're tinkering for Colossus, which is not out of the question, but but rare these days. So. I just think that this, even the, even though, as you said, there's plenty of creature removal, you're still getting an advantage by... Right. If for, it's a sideboard card in a DPS deck, it's perfect. Yeah, by, by disrupting your opponent's sideboard strategy and making them make difficult decisions. Now, okay, perhaps Mentor was a poor example because Fragmentized Steel deals with the defense grid and the hope, right? 
So there are issues there. Don't get me wrong. It's, there's going to be a bit of a dance, though, <laughs> in terms of who brings in what. And that will be part of the skill of navigating the vintage once this card is a real a real a reality. You know, I think you, I think you're right to point out that this there's an interesting set of dynamics. Any argument that mental misstep should be considered for a restriction, I think, faces a pretty big uh, hurdle with the printing of this card. <laughs> <laughs> um, not that many people are are making that argument, um, but I think you're right. I mean. It, there are like you know just reinforcing the point. There's there's a kind of a dance, a give and take here, it, depending on the way in which you're using it, depending on the strategy. Um, Granted. In the in the decks that have you know Goblin Welder, I think it, that those concerns matter much less. Uh, that is the, you know removal because you're going to be using Welder to recur it, and you know you can just play them, you know consecutively again while you want to have as many as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's an amazing disruption spell. Uh, the fact that it turns off their turn means that you do not have to worry about, you know, well, if this doesn't resolve or this doesn't go through or this doesn't work out for me, you know, it's like, draw, you know what, draw sevens might be the single best example of this. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, the whole fear of draw seven is that because they're symmetrical, you can reload your opponent's hand. So you attack with Xanid Swarm, turn one Xanid Swarm, attack, like your opponent just has one turn to find their removal spell and they don't. Then you know, you you turn them off. They're covered in bees. And <laughs> you play uh, time twister. Exactly, you pay, play time twister, or you know, like a wheel of fortune, and you you draw nothing but mana, and they draw nothing but bombs. No fear, right? No yeah. fear, really. I mean, they're turned off right now. All you need is another hope of Girapur. They're turned off. Um, and wow. yeah, and you, you know, go right out. That's really interesting. That so you you were saying before about how the fact that this is legendary is you know potentially misleading because of the sacrifice interaction. So you're incentivized to run a, a high number of these. But your point about so so it, before you had calculus to do about the value of draw sevens even under Xanted Swarm because there's still a risk if you don't go off. Right. You're you're fueling your opponent. You don't have that risk to nearly the same degree. I mean, it's almost completely mitigated with hope of gear yes. and yes. and the fact that <laughs> that draw seven is likely to draw you into another hope is incredible <laughs> because you just yeah. get to keep doing. You could do that for multiple turns in a row with very low risk. Right, they're completely turned off until your next upkeep. You know, it's fascinating from a design standpoint. They very, they very easily could have worded this card as this turn or until the end of turn. Yeah, and they chose yeah. not to. To make it so much more powerful, just un- I mean, yeah. that's it's I, I would what the word unnecessary was the first thing that came to my mind. This card, we would still be having a good time talking about this card if it didn't have that secondary effect. But that uh, secondary effect just completely transforms the calculus. It really does, it, it, and it puts it in so it, many more contexts. Exactly, it fits in so many other places. Yeah. It just kind of washes around in in very different. It has a very different play effect. Yeah. Um, to, to to the point that you're just making though. Um, just I wanted to play out the scenario so people can sort of see how this works out. So you attack, they're turned off, you play another hope and maybe some mana sources and pass or not. They get their turn. In your next upkeep, they can then attempt to kill the hope that you played. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. Even if they're successful, even if they are successful, you have another chance to try and do something. Yeah. Right there. Right. Which is great. So it, it dramatically minim- it doesn't entirely eliminate the risk of an asymmetrical draw seven, but it does dramatically minimize it. Boy, um, the way so you let's... described that scenario there just made me realize how poorly fragmentized lines up with this. 
Because you can't make that play with fragmentized. It's sorcery. Yeah. It's sorcery. So you have to, I mean, in the context of so Mentor, right, point. you have to have swords to plowshares or like yeah. the basic disenchant, right? You have to have to have instant speed removal to interact in bolt. that way. Yeah. Right. And people have gone to bolt instead of... Also interesting that um, you can sacrifice it at any time. Yep. So if you don't want this exile with plow, just sacrifice it. Well, um, that's interesting. Sacrifice Hope of Gearpair, colon, until your next turn, target player... No, see, they, there has to be a target player that was dealt combat damage by it. In, in order to sacrifice it? Yes. So if it's your upkeep uh. and you haven't yet dealt combat damage to anybody, you can't just sacrifice this for no ability. The way you're thinking of That's the ability... That's a templating oddity. It, well, I, I, I mean, just assume... it's, it's yeah. possible to have templated it such that it would work the way you think, or that you're saying. It would, um, it would have to say target player can't cast non-creature spells if they were dealt damage by... But it's not worded that way. It's target player who was dealt combat damage by Hope of Gripper. So you, you can't make that play. You can't just sacrifice this to get it out Got of the it. way of a plot. Got it. Yeah. You could okay. only do that post-combat. Um, so let's let's shift away from combo because it's obviously very good in combo, and I think we can talk about applications more specifically when we get to that. Yeah. But you know, in decks, I mean, deck applications. We talk generally about that, but let's talk about the other set of uh, interactions in more control decks or whatever. Could you see this being used as like a, a trinket mage target or used in? Certainly, we could see it used in a kind of a steel. I don't want to again pigeonhole the specific archetypes or decks, but. Talk about where you see this might be used in slower yeah. decks. Yeah, so I don't think it does much for the slowest of decks, like Land Still. I do think, yeah. though, that a deck with Trinket Mages, and at the moment that's very few decks in the format, admittedly, but Bomberman, I think, might go so far as to run a copy of this in the main, because... Yeah. It, it just because every yeah. once in a while it's just going to be exactly the right thing. Because Bomberman is the sort of deck that God. could just play incremental value for the first few, ter few turns of the game and then set up the one big kill turn. So there's a lot of synergy with the way that deck functions. Well, the, yeah, the fact that you can return this with Oriox Salvagers iteratively is bonkers. You, oh, I so mean, you could, yeah, you could even just set up the quote-unquote slaver lock with Salvagers yeah. even if you don't have your Lotus My yet. God. Trinket Mage finds that this this card is insane in Salvagers. That's, oh my god! That's a really good point. I was just thinking about ending the game, but you're right. This Salvagers is the sort of deck that abuses both sides of the coin, and it's already built in. You don't have to change the deck in any way. No, you just slot Your this in. And literally you... has a tiny window to do anything. Right. The only time they'll be able to do anything is between your upkeep <laughs> and your combat step. It's insane. Yeah. That's all really I mean, interesting. It's just a a packload of synergy there. It deals damage, and that deck just deals damage incre incrementally mm -hmm. with Salvagers and Trinket Mages. Mm -hmm. It recurs itself. The Trinket, the Oryx Salvagers recurs it, and the Trinket Mage, Mage finds it. It's tailor-made for that deck. Yeah. It's absurd. L let's go to a, a different, a totally <laughs> different wing of the metagame. I think that the modern iterations of workshops that have Inventor's Fair will seriously consider having access to at least yes. one of these also. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Because it just it helps you out so much in certain discrete scenarios, and it's a good thing to draw early because it's permanent, at least until you sacrifice. But it's a permanent, so it interacts well with your Tango Wire, um, Thorn, Smokestack kind of board states. It's an artifact, so clearly it interacts well with Ravager. It flies, so it has another built-in interaction with Ravager. Right? If your opponent's on Mentor and they fill up the board, you can finish the finish them off through the air. 
with Ravager if you just need the damage. Uh, and also, it is disruptive in the ways we've already discussed, which is completely synergistic with Workshop's primary mana disruption game plan. So if you there is there is one drawback to this, and that's I can think that of it. it is sh- shut off by null rod. Yep, that's a, that's a big one. So we need to not lose sight of that. This has <laughs> inherent weaknesses to null rod and mental misstep. Uh, but I would still argue that this card yeah. in a workshop in the broad umbrella of workshop mana denial yes. strategy, this is good early and it's good late. Is what I would yes. say. Yes. Yes. So you can, get, you can just force through that one turn that you need that final lock piece. Right. Right. And and to get something going, you know. Boy, how um, you know it's not a modern. It's at the moment it's not a thing. But how much would the old Forge Master decks have loved this card? Died for oh, it. Oh, jeez, it's put so it directly, good. Yeah, in combo mud. So I think we can. I think we're already shifting into to specific deck applications. Yeah. So let's not let's not cork that. Let's just keep keep rolling with that. <laughs> um, Tiny Robots is insane with this. Oh, I mean, so that's good. all that deck does. So good. <laughs> this card, I mean, this card, it, it just, it, it hits just, on just every cylinder. What... It hits on every yeah. cylinder that that deck is trying to hit on, right? Well, why don't you just describe that deck does for people who are unfamiliar with that archetype? <laughs> yeah, so Tiny Robots, we've talked about it a handful of episodes on the show, but frequently in passing, because it's not a very common feature of the metagame right now. There was a point earlier in the year when Tiny Robots was showing up a bit more, and that's because specifically some people in my neck of the woods and Team Serious and the Andy Probasco loves it. Yeah, he's played it, it online. And he's played it. it that's right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, beating around the bush. Uh, Tiny Robots is a workshop aggro small creature Genesis Chamber deck. If to use as many monikers as I can. Remind everyone of Genesis Chamber. Yeah, Genesis <laughs> Chamber is a two mana artifact that has a triggered ability. It says whenever a player plays a creature spell, they put oh, a mirror. To, uh, token into play, a 1-1 artifact mirror into play. Tiny Robots is a deck built around small creatures. <clears throat> it has your Ravagers, but it also has things like Memnites and Signal Pest to build up, and this uh, Genesis Chamber, to build up a critical mass of creatures to to hit your opponent fast, abuse Signal Pest, abuse Genesis Chamber, abuse Arcbound Ravager, and then it includes <clears throat> certain yep. key... Well, the most... The most important card you haven't mentioned is Skull Clamp. So it has uh, yeah. a Skull Clamp engine. Yeah. Which is interesting with this because the first one, you attack and clear through combat. But if you draw more, then you don't need them. You can just play them and clamp them. That's right. Skull Clamp has an inherent so, synergy with, even though this is legendary, with abusing additional copies. And so you, you can be just incredibly... This is tailor-made for that deck. You can be incredibly <laughs> disruptive with Tiny Robots because it has a handful of the features of the, the larger the bigger mana workshop decks. It has your Tangle Wires and your Thorn of Amethyst and a few others, like Lodestone Golem. But it's not designed primarily on mana disruption. It's a rush deck that, that makes your opponent uh, slip up on mana with a few of those effects. So this just plays so well into almost everything that Tiny Robots is trying to do. It's a cheap creature. It has evasion, which that deck doesn't really have for the most part. Yeah. It uh, it plays well with Skull Clamp, as you put it. And, it plays well and with that Ravager. Deck often has mental misstep to protect too. So it, so it plays well with Signal Pest. The, the the hilarious part, you know, you know, I haven't it's, touched it plays on with it. everything. It's you, a skull. And it match it like in an aggro in a workshop mirror. Yep. You just clamp it. It's not dead. Yeah. You know. You can sacrifice it to Ravager. You can clamp it. Having said what I said just a moment ago, I realized something that you and I have not emphasized enough, and that is this card is still dealing damage to your opponent when it's doing its job. You know how yeah. Mindslaver, for example, doesn't kill your opponent. Like with, you have to find like something else. Pest. This yeah, card, it's... if you get them into well, quote-unquote lock you know, of some, one kind or another, you know, welder or salvagers or whatever, you're still killing them. 
they're it's, still they're, dead. they're still yeah. dying a, a damage at a time throughout this whole yeah. process that's just i was just saying that's another reason why it's so synergistic with tiny robots because it, it's a, a a huge disruption effect that's also dealing a little bit of damage it's just does this, everything that deck wants to do this is this is a little bit off topic or need to be rewound to where we were just were a few minutes ago <laughs> but this card may exacerbate the di- distinction between paper vintage and magic online in the sense that if this card is so perfectly fits into salvagers mm. and yet salvagers you know anyway yeah. just something to think about if if this yeah if this card leads to any kind of resurgence of bomberman that could be a relevant issue because kelly oath has fallen by the wayside online lately and and in paper i mean uh but this it, obviously this card doesn't go in oath but anything that promotes the presence of salvagers you're right could widen that gulf a little bit that's really interesting. So, about what you, okay, so you, you wanted to keep going on possible decks. I want to reiterate how much uh, Steel City Vault likes this card. Yes. <laughs> so we said it earlier, but it the interaction with Welder, so you can get that quasi-mindslaver action if you have that kind of draw, but also the interaction with Draw 7s and, and Haymakers that we've already touched on. So similar to Tiny Robots, this card is promoting... It, well, okay, so it promotes the bombast, the the haymakers that that Steel City Vault likes, but right. it also promotes the artifact sub theme. Yeah, it promotes yeah. the artifact sub theme you've got with Welder. So it's just an additional artifact. It could promote Mox Opal as needed. It's it works well, obviously, with Tinker and and welding in Time Vault and the, some of the A plans of that deck. I boy, it's really interesting, and it helps you from an aggressively disruptive standpoint against other controller controlish decks. What about playing it inside a Control Slaver deck with Thirst for Knowledge to get rid of the superfluous ones, you know, welders to weld it back in? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, why would you even need Mind Slaver if you have this? Really? I mean, you, you, this is just a one-mana Mind Slaver. <laughs> it's well, crazy. This, You know what's interesting is Mind Slaver, within reason, uh, what I'm about to say is obviously not true at face value, but Mind Slaver hasn't experienced its peak with uh, planeswalkers. There hasn't been a, a major period where Mindslaver got to exist with Dak Faden, for example. There have been, a, you know, some Welder decks since the Dak Faden was printed, of course, but not to the degree that Mindslaver was in its heyday. This card is incredibly good if you are getting incremental, repeated use out of it. Right. I mean, when, when you have also just, planeswalkers in play, it's also just better when you have counter magic in many ways because the counter magic can shield you and versions of this in that small window they have to do something it makes your, your upkeep yeah and your makes your step. counter magic far more effective yes yes because the options it bottles, for, yeah bottlenecks them yeah I I, I I mean here's here's where i wanted to drive to i think this can be used virtually everywhere in the format <laughs> it can be used in combo decks workshop decks control decks aggro control decks I, I think you're probably right. It does not really work well in slow control decks. I can agree with that. But yeah. I mean, everywhere else, this card is this this card might be the front runner. Certainly, the clear front runner for card of the year in 2017. But this card, <laughs> there's no there's no real theoretical limit on the applications for this card. Uh, in, in conceptual theoretical limit, this this card has plausible applications everywhere. I mean, help me find some sort of additional <laughs> limit, because it's. I mean, what we've just talked about is, it's it, that additional little clause makes it so good in control decks like Salvagers or Control Slaver or Steel City Vault. You know, 
the veer towards. I mean, how you know you and it's it the fact that it is one colorless mana means it can be played just about anywhere. The only thing that concerns me is like in an Eldrazi deck with Mulrod. That's probably not the home for this deck, this card. True. You know, one mana is yep. not where you want to be in Eldrazi. So so Jaco Eldrazi, Tribal Eldrazi is not where you want to be with this. But I could see playing this in a Hate Bears deck. I could see playing this in a uh, a white Eldrazi deck. Uh, absolutely. I see no reason why it would. Yeah, why it wouldn't fit in those? They have Cavern of Souls to make this uncounterable. So, by the way, does Ariok Salvager's decks? Um, jeez, I mean, this this card <laughs> could be could be. It's not likely to be. I don't want to. I don't want to overstate the case. I don't believe that this is going to be appear in every deck. Far from it. Right. But I'm saying that it's plausible that it could appear in a, almost every strategic orientation in the format. I I think you're right. I mean, clearly we're not saying this. <laughs> this is not going to go in every deck the way Grafdigger's Cage goes in every deck. But they're they're just major overlaps in terms of this card's functionality and new windows of opportunity that it adds for certain decks, like we were discussing with Salvagers, such that many, many decks, many, many decks can find a home for this. And, it, you know, it might not be in the main deck, it might be in the sideboard, but because the disruptive effect is so broad, it just, it's, it's just so universally applicable against so many other key archetypes. I mean, I, I'm going to hate having this ability activated against me in almost any deck I play, right? You, you wouldn't want it in the Storm Combo Mirror, but in many, many other matchups, it's going to be a huge swinging effect in, in specific games. Unbelievable. Is there anything else we can say? Do we want to make some sort of assessment as where we think this is most likely or least likely to see play? Well, I uh, think... We didn't, even, we didn't even mention Suicide Virus. Oh, there's two... In addition to Marshmallow, oh, let me just... Before, we, before I ask you marginal places this card is insane in suicide virus which is all which is the you know we we have not seen that deck in over a decade but artificer's intuition is a really good way to kind of get this thing going for the folks who don't know it's a two mana enchantment it's blue one it's has a, a blue activation discard an artifact from your hand search your library for an artifact card with converted mana cost one or less so the, the that deck used to play xanad's worm kevin mm -hmm. this is just a straight upgrade and it has skull clamp and all of that so you can imagine, and it wins with Disciples of the Vault, Recursion with Mere Servitor, which is perfect because sacrificing this actually fuels Disciple of the Vault, is the kill. Oh, jeez. Yeah, so, you, you so, know, Steve, I, I, every time you bring it up, I want you to elaborate a little bit more for our audience about what Suicide Virus really was. Just as you asked me to elaborate on Tiny Robots, can you talk a little bit more broadly about what that deck featured and did? Sure, it was a, it was a Mike Long and Mike Krasmicki design deck the idea and what it basically did is that you got you play all the artifact acceleration and the goal is to get artificers intuition to play and find all the mere servitor which is a one mana creature that recurs itself if you get three in the graveyard you just chain them like survival with with uh like basking root wallows or whatever mm -hmm. or vengevines i guess these days and you get the mere servitors in the graveyard and you play the last one and your next upkeep they all come into play you clamp them all up and draw eight cards, and then you usually just can go off. With Mox Opals and Chrome Mox and all that stuff, you should just be able to win that turn by drawing just a tremendous number of cards. And you you win with Yog Will and, you, uh, and or Disciples of the Vaults. So if you Yog Will, Time Walk, you put all the Disciples of the Vaults into play, you clamp you know a few of these things, and Ornithopters included, and you just kill your opponent with blasts of four damage at a time. Mm -hmm. So So this card just perfectly fuels that kind of combo deck. The other, is, is that, do you think, sufficient for how that <laughs> yeah, deck works? I do, I do. Okay. 
The other thing that the place I think this card could see play in terms of fringe decks is two card Monty. Oh yeah. Two card Monty is a workshop deck that has two cards built, two combos built into it. One is Leyline of the Void and Helm of Obedience, which is a four mana win. You put Leyline of the Void in play before the game begins. You play Workshop in a Mox to play Helm, one additional mana to activate it, and you mill your opponent's deck and they die. The other is Pinner Servant and um, Grindstone. And, and Grindstone. Uh, with this, this you can just play it on turn one and then attack, activate, and clear the way to resolve your your threats. It's the perfect card for that deck because that deck also runs Goblin Holder. So yep. um, it's just a perfect fit for two-card money. It really goes everywhere. But I wanted to, I, the, let's get back to the question I just asked you, uh, which is where do you think this is most likely to see play? And, and yeah, let's, just, let's wrap up with that question. I think that initially it's pretty clear to me that this is most likely to see play in the decks that are currently playing Defense Grid. Because, and I, and I don't mean to uh, shade anyone here, but it's the more obvious home, right? I think that the Dark Petition Storms, the Paradoxical Storms, the Belcher-style decks, and the, the Shades of Grey in between those archetypes, those are the places where this will see the most play to start with. Uh, Steel City Vault, for example, which is, a, and you and I agree, is a pretty exciting opportunity for this card, is not as low... Is it's very, not a deck uh, right now. It's not yeah. a deck right now, yeah. It's, it's very low representation in the metagame. Similarly, Bomberman, which we're excited about as a, pl- a home for this. Very low representation right now. So... I think numerically, you're going to see it in in Tendril's decks. Cyborgs of combo decks. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. But I don't know if that's the place it's going to see the most play. It's definitely going to see play, but I just I just can't. I think this is going to appear in some combo control decks if those exist. Those also have very low representation. But I mean, this is just such a perfect fit in. It's such a perfect fit in Bomberman. Yeah. In c- control slaver decks, which don't really exist very much. But it's also a perfect fit in Tiny Robots, which also doesn't really exist. So maybe this is just going to boost a bunch of marginal decks that don't, don't really exist very much. <laughs> it could be, but it could have an ancillary effect of increasing the further increasing the presence of Null Rod and Stony Silence in the format, right? Right. Because that is an inherent answer it's that decks answer. like that decks like Mentor have at the moment, and it is becoming more standard for those decks right. to run Stony Silence, for Boy, example. This, this puts pressure on that so fast, because this is so fast. That's I mean, true. Is, you have to have a turn one answer. That, well, that's a very good point. If you're if you're on the draw, and your opponent simply goes land hope, and you've got Stony Silence <laughs> and, and two lands in your hand, it could be too late. This card is terribly misnamed. It's not the hope of Girapur, it's the despair for your opponent. <laughs> this is the menace abandon, of Girapur. Abandon, yeah, abandon all hope when this card comes into play. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that's really interesting how they named this card about the people that were disrupting the planar bridge and from their perspective, but in almost every magical context in game, it's gonna be yeah, it's gonna be the most menacing thing there is. You could possibly Oh man. You'd rather be facing almost anything on turn one than this in most cases. That's true. This is it's gonna like... be so demoralizing to to see hit on turn one. It's going to lead to so many people complaining about how... I think this card could really lead to a lot of complaints about how binary the format is. Oh, oh how lucky. You drew your hope, and I didn't draw my misstep this game. Good game, yeah, I well, scoop. I don't know. I, I I don't think it's going to be that bad. I, I really don't. I don't. I can just imagine people like Mike Solomasi complaining <laughs> endlessly about this card. Yeah, that's that's possible. That's certainly possible. <laughs> <laughs> Oh wow! Well, Steve, uh, how do you want to wrap the? How do you want to put a bow on this for the new year? 
I think we should just say this. Um, have fun with Hope of Girapur, and <laughs> we certainly will. And we look forward to seeing where this shows up. And, and we hope that people come up with ideas that we didn't even consider. But uh, yeah. have fun. <laughs> Absolutely. And tell us, after you've listened to this or, or read our, our updated article, what you think will be the home for Hope of Girapur and Vintage, because, because we think the answer to that is deep, and we want to hear your thoughts. So thank you very much for listening to episode 61 of So Many Insane Plays. You can tweet us at Many Insane Plays or email us at So Many Insane Plays Podcast at gmail.com. As always, and until next time, we wish you a Many Insane Plays. We did not escape for the game! <laughs> <laughs>